Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to the station every day. Daily at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi Democratic lawmakers react to possibly changing how the state pays for public schools. I'll have to wait and see what their formula is that is going to get more money in the classrooms. I mean, who can be opposed to putting more money in the classrooms? You know, that's easy to say, but you've got, you've got to do it the right way. You have to have teachers. You have to have bus drivers. Then, a $40 million loan to help poor rural communities in the state get access to capital. Later, healthy eating and fair food. And a profile of Mississippi Senator James Eastland in our book club. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's Democratic lawmakers say they would like to see reform to the state's education funding formula. This in light of Republican leaders' announcement Tuesday of hiring a third party to recommend changes to the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, or MAEP. Republicans have long argued the formula does not do enough to make sure money goes directly into the classroom. House Minority Leader David Barria of Bay St. Louis says that's easier said than done. I mean, obviously, this is what they've been talking about for years, sort of um, in code. And then they finally come out and said, yeah, this is what we want to do. Uh, I'll have to wait and see what their formula is that is going to get more money in the classrooms. I mean, who can be opposed to putting more money in the classrooms? But that's sort of like asking Melinda McGrath, hey, we want to put more money in asphalt. Forget all these engineers, forget all these people who design our roads and design a program that benefits everybody in the state of Mississippi. We want more money in asphalt. Well, you know, that's easy to say, but you've got, you've got to do it the right way. You have to have teachers. You have to have bus drivers. You have to have uh, buildings and grounds. You have to have administrators. So if they can come up with a better way to do this, I'm all ears. Uh, but you know, until they do, MAEP is a pretty good formula. Maybe we ought to fund it once or twice to see if it really works. Representative David Barria on changing the state's public school funding formula. Representative Alice Clark of Jackson tells Paul Boger fully funding all public schools in the state is part of the legislature's responsibility. What I'd like to see, I'd like to, of course, see all of the schools adequately funded. We all know, I think, that we said that the purpose of what we were doing was to fully fund education, and we never fund fully funded education. And I wanted to make sure that we are making sure that all of our principals and our teachers are, I know our teachers are doing the best they can, but I want to give them what they need to do the best that they can. And I'm thinking that money is not everything. I think that there are other things that we can do, some incentives that we could look at that some other states are using for education because we know that education is a key to everything else that we do. 
So I think if we could just get our education system in the way that it needs to go, everything else will go right. What about this argument that too much money is is going into administration and not enough is going into the classroom? Do you think that's a valid argument? That, I think, does need to be looked at because it doesn't make sense to me to put the money at the top when we have the teachers and the children needing the funds. What would you like to see to come out of this report from EdBuild, the, the folks who are going to be suggesting changes? I'm not really sure what the changes should be, but I am glad that it will be reviewed so we can see where we are. And I don't think we will know where to go until we know where we are. MPB's Paul Boger with Representative Alice Clark of Jackson on possibly changing the state's formula for funding public schools. Up next, a $40 million loan to help poor rural communities in the state get access to capital. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This election year has been unpredictable. It can be hard to keep track of what's true and what's not. But NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. Today is Thursday, but you know what tomorrow is. It's Friday, and that means high school football. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tomorrow night at 10, right here on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A Jackson-based nonprofit is getting a major infusion of cash from the USDA to help impoverished communities in rural Mississippi. Hope Enterprise Corporation and Credit Union is getting a $40 million loan from the USDA to provide loans to hospitals, schools, and other facilities in small towns. USDA's Lisa Lisa Mensa tells MPB's Desiree Frazier Hope's track record makes it the right delivery agent for the loans. This is uh, part of our traditional, what we call our Community Facilities Direct Loan Program. And it is money that is spent building essential community facilities. That's schools, hospitals, charter schools, clinics, health centers, uh, youth centers, a real variety of essential facilities that help communities thrive. And we do this all over the country. But this year, we decided to make a special effort to relend those funds to institutions, community lenders, who had the capacity to work in high poverty areas and areas of persistent poverty. And it was a major application this summer. 26 organizations were chosen, and two of them, the Credit Union and the uh, Enterprise Loan Fund, were here in Jackson. So they don't just get to keep this money. It's a loan. It is a loan. But what is special about this is a 40-year loan made at fixed rates, two and three-quarters percent. So this is a loan that we will make to them, and they will relend in the community. Uh, But for many institutions of lending, the chance to have capital, uh, this much capital fixed, gives them a certainty and gives them a scale of being able to work that is unprecedented. So we're very excited to have this kind of partnership. Now, this is a new type of partnership. It sure is. And what makes it interesting is it's not just a partnership with the people who are borrowing from us, 
Well, we have two other sets of partners who came with us on this journey. One is the philanthropy community, seven different foundations, and created something called the Uplift America Fund, over $22 million. And so there was also private philanthropy that said, we're going to help unlock these federal funds by strengthening, by making grants at the same time. That's one piece of the partnership. And then we had uh, private banks also step up to be part of guaranteeing these funds. So we're very thankful. We have bank partners, we have philanthropic partners, and then we have these powerful community lender partners. How do you know or do you know if you'll get the results that you're looking for? How are you going to measure this? Well, uh, federal government's actually pretty good at tracking things. That's what some of those onerous forms can be about. But here's what we really know. We know that uh, the institutions who have borrowed from us had to come with a track record. They had to say that they had track record and interest in serving rural communities and rural communities of high poverty. So we were able to uh, choose or to make loans to people that had a real track record. So that's one thing, what they've done in their past. And the other thing we'll be looking, we have a role in assuring that federal dollars are spent as they were intended to, so in this case in communities of under 20000 and we'll know because uh, we'll be in a loan relationship with them every uh, for the next 40 years with them telling us how it's going. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Lisa Mensa of the USDA. Bill Bynum, CEO of Hope, tells Desiree Fraser access to capital is missing from the state's rural populations. You know, the region that we work in is um, just so got so much potential, but it's also one of the most important impoverished places in the country. We've got one quarter of all the persistent poverty counties in the nation are in Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana. And so we could just about throw a rock in some of our rural areas and hit some place that has a need. So whether it's crumbling schools, uh, need for health care facilities, nonprofits that are providing critical support services, the facilities for them to provide those uh, services in a sustainable way and, and, and just Give people a sense of pride is something we're excited about. There's there's so many opportunities in the region, but what's lacking are the tools, and this provides us with a really strong tool to tackle the needs in communities across our region. How much of this money will go to Mississippi? Uh, $40 million. Um, we'll, All of it? Um, through the Enterprise Corporation, uh, we will respond to needs on a case-by-case basis. Um, we work in Mississippi and Arkansas and Louisiana. We've been in the Delta for 22 years. Our first office was in Greenville. We just off- recently opened a cluster of branches in the heart of Delta, and it'll be in a Shaw, Drew, um, and Greenville. And um, so we are we, we, we know there's a lot of demand there. There's a lot of opportunity, but there's also opportunity across the river in, in um, Arkansas and Louisiana. So we'll be looking for projects. And hopefully this won't be our only bite of the apple. I really have to tip my hat to um, USDA uh, for their leadership in taking a really innovative approach uh, to addressing needs in these areas. And the, the combination of federal resources, um, bank partners, philanthropic partners, and equipping us um, as an on-the-ground community development institution to to tackle these programs with in a really strong way as opposed to having to cobble together resources. We've got $40 million. Um, that doesn't happen every day. $400 million in the most impoverished places in the country is a significant injection um, into uh, places that have um, needs on just about any 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 area that you can think of, whether it's uh, jobs, whether it's health, 
whether it's education, um, all of these areas are lacking relative to the rest of the country, and the opportunity to invest in these uh, issues and help communities get stronger is very exciting. Are there any specific key areas that you're targeting? You know, there, there's just, again, so many needs. We've been working uh, with communities that don't have a grocery store, and so whether it's working with a municipal municipality that um, wants to structure a community-owned um, grocery, uh, whether it's a, a wellness center in Moorhead, uh, schools in um, in just about any community, and it being the, the unfortunately the, the schools there are really in, in in need of significant investment, and you can find towns like that across the region. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Bill Bynum of Hope Enterprise Corporation on USDA loans for poor rural areas of Mississippi. Up next, healthy eating and fair food. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This election year has been unpredictable, and it can be hard to keep track of what's true or not. But NPR's election team wades through it all so you don't have to. Be informed. Listen to this station every day. I'm Robin Young. Donald Trump's comments on women pushed Speaker of the House Paul Ryan to pull his support. But what happens now? Ryan's up for re-election. Will he have to withdraw his endorsement? I don't want his support. I don't care about his support. What I want to do is I want to win for the people. That's next time, here and now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Food from the State Fair is famous for many things, but being good for you isn't one of them. So if you're trying to make healthy eating a part of your life, what do you do when the fair's in town? Can you cheat just a little and have that funnel cake without feeling guilty or going completely off the rails? We asked Josie Bidwell, nursing professor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. For the vast majority of people, probably not going to hurt you. But it's more about trying to build a healthy lifestyle. And for some people that are really struggling with chronic illnesses, then even one time a year is enough to derail the kind of healthy habits that they're trying to, to build up. Oh, really? So you yeah, can't give so yourself a break for that one time? I am fully okay with giving breaks. But I would still try and pick something that's not just absolutely, completely unhealthy. (laughs) So, you know, or have a bite, you know, if it's something that you want to try. I have tried the donut burger. Um, I was curious, wanted to see what all the fuss was about. I had one bite, um, and it was good. Um, But it's not something that I personally would want to spend my calories on. You know, I tend to think of the calories that I'm allotted in a day as a bank account. And so whenever I make a choice, then I try and think about, you know, how much that's going to cost me in terms of calories and my overall health for, for the day and for the week and for the month. And so I don't want to spend, you know, 3,000 calories on one meal. Is where, there anything a person can have at the state fair and not go off the wagon? Absolutely. So um, I love the corn at the fair. It's, you know, fresh farmer's market corn. It's incredibly sweet on its own. Um, They do dip it in butter. I usually ask them to not dip mine, but you can also ask for light butter where they don't actually dip it all the way down in there. They just kind of sprinkle a little butter over the top and a little bit of the Cajun seasoning makes a great treat. 
Um, and then I actually lucked up on um, the Euro stand uh, when I went the other day, and they have a grilled chicken salad that is amazing. It's got olives and tomatoes and onions and feta cheese and grilled chicken. I asked for the dressing on the side, and it was amazing. Uh, the people that I w- was with, actually, they went back and got one um, <laughs> after we left because they were watching me drool over mine. It was so good. And then I finished up my day with um, chocolate-covered strawberries. Yeah, so a lot of folks don't even realize that that's there, but there's a stand that has chocolate-covered strawberries and chocolate-covered bananas. And so at least you're getting some fruit in there um, with the chocolate, and it's, you know, it's not fried, so we're not talking about an overload of fat. Um, and, you know, it's just a little bit of chocolate on the outside of it. Come, they come four on a stick. Um, I ate two of them uh, at the fair, and then um, I shared the other two with uh, somebody I was with. But in other years, I've taken them home and had the other two later that day. It's just about portion size. Even if you're going to pick something that's not really healthy, let's say you want a funnel cake, split that funnel cake with somebody. Yeah, it's a, a funnel pretty cake big, is around. And it's a big thing, too. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. They're around 800 calories for a funnel cake. So, um, you know, I, it's a lot of calories at, at one whop. So, you know, if that's your thing, if you crave a funnel cake every year, then get one, absolutely, and enjoy it, but split it with somebody because it's just really too much to handle at one time. For uh, for many, the tradition of going to the state fair, you go in and there are free biscuits with syrup inside them. Do we have to bypass the freebie? No, I'm I'm a big fan of free food. Um, so a biscuit will run you somewhere around 160 to 200 calories, depending on, you know, what's on top of it and how big it is. So I usually ask them not to put the syrup in mine, and I get it in a little cup on the side, and that way I can just kind of dip my biscuit in a little bit of that syrup and still get that sweet taste, but I don't get really too much syrup that I can't taste how yummy the biscuit is because those biscuits are delicious. What is the worst thing that you can eat at the fair, fat-wise, caloric-wise, sugar Anything that's battered and deep fried is going to be the least healthy option um, for you there because it's usually whatever the food was to start out with is not incredibly nutritious, like a Twinkie, an Oreo, a Snicker, you know, something that's really just pretty calorie heavy already. And then you batter it and fry it, and that's going to increase, one, the carb content from the batter, and then the fat from from deep frying it. So those are really things that I would just, you know, stay away from. You know what some state fairs have, we don't have it here probably, thankfully, is deep fried butter, a stick of butter. I know. I have heard that. I have heard of that. And I'd, I'm not sure why one would do that. That sounds disgusting. Uh, I, I, Yeah, plain butter is not a delicious treat in and of itself, so I can't imagine that frying it improves it a whole lot. You know, sometimes I think we just try and be shocking with what it is we can do with food. How many calories um, in a Pronto pup? Depending on Whether it's a the website or... you look at, anywhere from about three to 400. And that's... So, again, it's not terrible. Um, they have a regular size, and then they have a foot long. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you love the corn dog, get the regular size. You're going to shave at least 100 calories off by doing that. Okay, so if you eat something bad at the fair, or it tastes good, let's not say bad, because <laughs> it tastes great, but it's bad for you, <laughs> what kind of exercise do you have to do, and how much of it to work it off? Well, the deal with exercise is you cannot exercise your way out of a bad diet. So, you know, even people who are very active you're not going to burn off enough calories in your average workout to take care of a 1,400-calorie 
blowout at the fair. Josie Bidwell is uh, University of Mississippi Medical Center Assistant Professor of Nursing. Josie, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Eat healthy. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Up next, a profile of Mississippi Senator James Eastland in our book club. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. For decades, Mississippi Senator James O. Eastland was a leader of the Deep South's resistance to the civil rights movement, what he called the Second Reconstruction. And yet he developed late in his life a very real friendship with state NAACP chair Aaron Henry. In his new book, Big Jim Eastland, biographer G. Lee Annis Jr. chronicles Eastland's life. In today's book club, Annis tells us Eastland was tremendously influential in his time as a U.S. senator. I started reading. I, certainly here was an intransigent foe of civil rights, but I also found out that he was a mentor uh, to uh, young uh, uh, members of the Senate. I was not surprised by Orrin Hatch and Jesse Helms, but the strange thing was that he was a mentor as well to people like Ted Kennedy and Joe Biden and Gaylord Nelson, who a lot of people forgot, but was the father of Earth Day. And I figured there was a story here. And That kind of thing wouldn't happen these days between members of differing philosophies or differing parties. He was a bit of a dichotomy, wasn't he? Uh, Something, a man of great contradictions, yeah. What about his personal life versus his public life? Certainly, uh, uh, he was a guy who was one who, for most of his life, was raised as a white supremacist, was one who could deal with African-Americans, but by the end of his life, he was a friend of most of the key African-Americans in Mississippi, and certainly one of the last things he did was to send $500 in the name of Aaron Henry, uh, the leader of the state NAACP, with respect for all that Aaron Henry had done him to show the other side. And so here is a guy who Aaron Henry trusted to go out and get money from federal sources by 1978 even for uh, projects that would help the African-American community more than they would help the rest of Mississippi. James Eastland did change over time. The book is Big Jim Eastland. Big, it seems like it's part of his name. Is that because he was physically a large man or were there other attributes that would garner that title? He was called Big, I think, because he was powerful. Very powerful. Some would say that he was the most underestimated man in Washington, but the most overestimated person in Mississippi. But certainly he was one who was a powerhouse in D.C. He worked closely with some presidents, did he not? He did. I heard kind words from Jim Eastland, from aides to every president, from uh, John Kennedy through Jimmy Carter. He worked with all of them on getting their judges through confirmation struggles. What would you say was his most influential? characteristic, or where did he really leave his mark? If you ask him, I think he'd probably say that he helped move the Supreme Court from the very liberal Earl Warren Court to the more moderate conservative Warren Burger Court. What would you like readers to take away from this book? If there's anything that positive that would come out of it, I would hope that people would say that that the party should work together. These days, Jim Eastland was a man who had very set views but could work with everybody behind the scenes. I certainly don't want people to adopt the racial ideology of his first 70 years. 
but to work with others who may disagree with them or uh, uh, work across the aisle, that's something that's sorely needed. Is something I wish I could see, I would see more of from both presidential candidates this year. Big Jim Eastland, the Godfather of Mississippi, written by J. Lee Annis Jr. Mr. Annis, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much, Karen. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Creature Comforts, MPB Season Pass, and Southern Remedy. And remember, if you want to catch the show outside the broadcast, just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from C Spire Business Solutions, helping businesses move into the future with next-generation fiber optic Internet access. More at 855-C-SPIRE-2. C Spire, customer-inspired. It's Marketplace Tech for...